At first you're shaky. You're not sure if you belong. And then you find the perfect team up. And before you know it, all eyes are on you. The following interviews were recorded between the dates of February 16 and 17 at the Long Beach Comic Expo in Long Beach, California. All the voices on the record have knowledge of G.I. Joe, and as always, this content has Cobra Command's attention. Welcome to Cujo's File Cards. Warden, I gotta level with you. I'm no ordinary fortress guy. I'm a visionary, a maverick, just like you. Like me? And you know what happens when two mavericks get together? A lifelong friendship blossoms? Nope. The man tries to bring us down. Are you gonna let the man do that to us? No way, Stingray. Thou art a lord, Stingray. Behold, my impenetrable defense shield. Among other voices, I'm here with the voice of Lord Stingray. Yes. Oh, man. That's right. In and out. I like it. <laughs> well, basically, Lord Stingray was, they had pitched him to me as a really bad ripoff of Cobra Commander. <laughs> if you look, if you watch that episode, I mean, they fight the Stars and Stripes, which is G.I. Joe. Word. And Lord Stingray just has to get out somewhere, you know? All right, save the G.I. Joe for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> you also worked on Scooby-Doo Mysteries, Inc. Yes. Criminally underwatched, am I right? I believe so. I feel like... I think it had, like, a good cult following, for sure. But the... I, I would have loved to have seen more seasons of that show. Because they started to introduce classic Hanna-Barbera characters. I played, uh, uh Dr. Benton Quest. It's the, the most Caucasian voice in my repertoire. And, uh... I, I think they had a, an actor come in uh, to play Dr. Zinn, and, and it just didn't work out. So while I was in the booth, they just asked me to take a stab. So basically, Dr. Zinn was my really bad impression of James Hong. Yes. <laughs> and uh, actually worked on one of my favorite franchises from the PS1 era, Gone Animated. That would be Ape Escape. Oh, my gosh. That was like one of the first projects that... Um, that I worked on ever like uh, Kevin Coldy who is the producer of the current um, uh, the the Castlevania series he worked on that Ape Escape and Keith Aram was the uh, the audio engineer on that project who does a ton of look him up he does like a ton of uh, video games now Welcome to G.I. Joeberg, Eric Bowser. Yes, sir. Yes. Oh, man. G.I. Joe Resolute, if that's what we're talking about. That was Joaquim DeSantos's uh, and Hasbro's 14 and up G.I. Joe. Meaning, if you watch the original cut, which exists somewhere, uh, possibly a Tint Mouse Animation who animated it, uh, there's death and actual... Uh, people that could fire guns properly <laughs> all throughout the 80s in G.I. Joe, no one ever died so I, I gotta say they probably weren't that great at uh, shooting <laughs> shooting people uh, but in Resolute people died if I'm not mistaken, Tunnel Rat Tunnel Rat, Storm yeah Storm Shadow uh -huh. 
and uh, Destro. Destro. That's which, a spectrum right there. Which is crazy for me because I used to love Tunnel Rat from the J.J. movie, the original movie. And, uh, you know, he was uh, pitched to me as like a New Yorker, like, you know, just a regular guy. That's all I did for him, kind of my really bad Mark Wahlberg impression, you know. <laughs> and then uh, Storm Shadow, I was just like, Keone Young, who was the original voice of it, he had a much higher higher pitched voice so I wanted to go guttural with it really like he was a really nasty character uh, they did a really good job of making him just the most evil I've ever seen in an interpretation so I, I wanted to give him a more guttural you know like samurai voice but just like a snake he was awful what about that take on Destro Destro was so strange because for me, uh, Arthur Burghardt, of course, the original voice of Destro, uh, he was, uh, you know, he, he, I cannot hear anyone else in that character for whatever reason. And then they brought it to the live action movies and they really brought it to his Scottish descent, Scottish arms dealer. So I tried to give what Arthur did a Scottish accent. You know, and I don't know if that's something that he was trying to do himself, or he, he was just being Arthur, I think. And um, but yes, that that is almost—it was almost like if Arthur Burghardt and Sean Connery had a baby. That's exactly who Destro became. Well, I know the yeah. I know the Joe fans definitely appreciated the nuance. Um, yeah. Just a little kind of Rorschach, GI Joe Rorschach, right quick. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Tunnel rat working behind the scenes. Uh, Destro's always chasing shiny things. Um, <laughs> and I guess uh, Storm Shadow always chasing demons. Yeah. What, des- what describes you abstractly? Uh, I'm always chasing hamburgers. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I uh, <laughs> actually no. Uh, I, I enjoy a good hamburger. Uh, what is chasing me? What am I chasing? What is chasing me? See, that's the question. I don't know what's chasing me, but um, it leads me to places like this. I just love fandom. What am I looking for is just looking to say hi to fans when I come to places like Long Beach uh, Comic Expo. Nicely done. It is actually like growing every year that it's, you know, it moves forward. This is becoming like a mini San Diego Comic Con, you could say. Uh, I just did a, a voiceover panel here today. Uh, Jeremy Deschamps and Lauren Stone invited me, and uh, now I'm getting to meet you, which is amazing. So, um, cheers! And then to those listening, thank you so much for uh, the support that you guys have given. Uh, not not just with GI Joe Resolute, if that's how you found me. I mean, that was pretty much the beginning of my career, and it's kind of been—I've uh, been lucky. Let's just say that. <laughs> well, it takes skills to get lucky. Um, you started out animation first, no? Uh, yeah, I actually, uh, in the voiceover panel, I kept joking like I was a production assistant, so I really knew how to clean toilets real well. Uh, <laughs> Let's wrap it up and, on just uh, some personal taste. Give me three animated movies or cartoons while you were growing up that, that made you say, this is what I got to do. Oh, well, geez, Louise, that's that that's a that's a very good question. Could be one, could be three, whatever. Okay, uh, definitely Who Framed Roger Rabbit. That's, like, up there. I mean, I know it's it's a live-action animation combo, but that really broke the mold for animation and special effects in general. It really made you believe that... I mean, as a kid, I always thought cartoons were real, real people. <laughs> and then when you see them in Roger Rabbit, they are. They're not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, jumping without a parachute, Doc? That's kind of dangerous. Oh, yeah, huh? you could get killed. Uh, I want to spare... I don't have a, I don't have one, but Bugs does. 
oh, yeah, but I don't think you want it. You know, like, I'm the voice of Bugs Bunny now. Like, that's that's current. And I owe that movie a lot of, of why I am doing what I'm doing. Um, I mean, it's not animated, but Ghostbusters will always, it'll always be like a favorite of mine. Um, but I was just talking to, to Jeremy outside about Mrs. Doubtfire, even. That, the beginning of that film, we meet Robin Williams as a voiceover artist. He's in the booth voicing that cat and, and parrot, or bird that's smoking the cigarette. And I was like, wow, that's, uh, that's amazing. That's, that's a career. I like that. <laughs> you know? Where's the best way to run you down online? Oh, uh, I'm on Twitter and on Instagram, at Bowzilla, and that's B-A-U-Z-I-L-L-A. like beautiful creatures and uh, Captain Marvel uh, well, maybe what's what's something that you did that maybe people didn't see that mm, that you like let's see I have some younger stuff like elementary school age what we call middle grade one of my favorite titles is cats versus robots this is war there you go that was mostly because my nerd house is full of cats and robots and they're always fighting in real life I'd love to talk pop culture, but since uh, since we're short for time, let's just talk uh, some academia, if you don't mind. Sure. Educated at three of the oldest learned institutions in our country. Amherst College, and uh, and then I went to start a PhD at Stanford, so I got a master's in English Lit, and then I transferred to Yale and worked on first English and then American Studies. When did you know that your you were, your life was going to be about the written word? Because I know you got family and entertainment and whatnot. Yeah, I was really shy, and I did not speak to anyone outside my family until third grade. And I sat in my closet and in this avocado tree in my backyard, reading books, fantasy books. And I founded at my school uh, the Susan Cooper fan club in third grade, which was a British fantasy novelist. And then, uh, from then on, it was like invented language and uh, spells and, you know, memorized the poem from the front of your nerdy book, and that was my path. I wrote plays in college, but really I thought I was going to be a professor. And um, I started the women's literary magazine, the first one at Amherst College, that had a pretentious name based on an Emily Dickinson poem called Madness This. But I, uh, I just really liked words, so I think that was it. I was shy, and I liked words. It's a good name drop, but so is the Knox Award. Yeah. I, I couldn't find too much information about that. What, what is it, uh, and what does it mean, I it suppose? Was the, uh, it was the, uh, the, the department chair, just the, the award for, uh, for being, like, the, the English student of the college. And that was nice because... It was a small liberal arts college that has Emily Dickinson's house on the campus, basically. So it's a pretty literary school. So I, I liked that. Nice name drop. Yeah. Um, 
I think my last question is, uh, since you're so savvy with American Lit, uh, what's a writer, maybe even a quote, that still resonates? Um, I think, no, I like, there's a Hawthorne quote that's, a, that's more from letters when he's writing about his writing that says, I'm a citizen of another place. And I think about that all the time because I think all my work is always about belongingness and not belonging. And I think that um, most writers or creators feel like they want to be a part of the world, but they also never quite fit in because they're always sort of looking at it. So uh, that's what I sort of feel like. I'm always just sort of like uh, a citizen and not a citizen. So I guess that's what I think about. Literary luminary, Margaret Stoll. Here at Long Beach Comic Expo, again, not the first time we've chatted, but the first time on the record, I'm with... Eric Gordon. The writer on Scrimshaw. Let's give some love to Alterna first. Uh, What's your book about? You're the writer. All right. Scrimshaw is a post-apocalyptic dystopian adventure that takes place a couple generations after the melt of the polar ice caps. Dust is settled from the wars over the remaining resources after which Japan rises as a world power and they rally under the edict that science shall be our salvation. So corporations step forth to usher in that new era and what could go wrong. One of those corporations, Tanto, thinks it's a good idea to genetically modify whales to be 200 feet long and dumps them in the ocean and turning it into one big fish farm. And after that, uh, our intrepid captain, Hans Tanaka, reluctantly runs a whaling ship called the Runaway Horse, and he gathered his crew from all over the Pacific, places like Mexico, New Zealand, American Samoa. A real eclectic mix of characters from all over the Pacific. You're getting deep into the mythology. Uh, let's keep it here. If people are not familiar with Scrimshaw, what's what's something that a genre or something that might fit them? Man, if fans of Serenity, they would dig that. I mean, it's obviously not intergalactic, but yeah, definitely a crew on a ship, very close knit, kind of takes off outlaws, pirates, cutthroats, that sort of thing. I like it. Keep your eyes open for that. But we talked, Joe. You're yet one more writer that was influenced by Larry Hama and the G.I. Joe come up. Uh, what hit, hit you first or harder, the books or the toys? Most definitely the books. Uh, Silent Interlude was probably one of the issues that, that drew me in and made me a fan of comics forever. It was an amazing book. Preach. Uh, give me uh, one figure that you still remember. Uh, 100% low light. And I remember his childhood when he uh, shot rats in the junkyard that he lived in. And that, that resonated with me because he was just a kid forced to, to be out on his own at night in a scary junkyard, which was really cool. Yep. What's the best way to run you down online? Uh, you can check me out on my website, ericgordon.com. was a time when dinosaurs ruled the world that time might be now indie comic mixtape we're talking uh blastosaurus i'm here with the author fresh out of new zealand yes yes i'm richard fairgray author and artist on blastosaurus uh, please elaborate richard well, well i both write and draw the comic blastosaurus no, you... I'm, just, I'm being funny uh yeah I, i'm from new zealand and i moved here about a year ago uh blastosaurus was the number one comic in new zealand for about a decade and now we're re- relaunching it in the u.s is this book widely spread right now? Uh, yeah, it's available worldwide now through Diamond. It's um, published by Golden Apple Books, and the sixth issue just came out last week, and we're confirmed for Free Comic Book Day this year. 
There are people who write and draw comics, though they're few. How much time does that take? It's it's all encompassing, right? Yeah, I spend anything from 12 to 16 hours a day working on comics. I have been living in my office for the past month because it's it's too late at night and kind of dangerous to leave by the time I finish. Welcome to America. Yeah, it's great. Where can people uh, reach you online? I'm at Blastosaurus on Instagram and Twitter or um, on Facebook, Blastosaurus, or our website is blastosaur.us because it cleverly spells Blastosaurus, but it's very stupid of me, and it's all my fault because I forgot because I, I lost the domain name blastosaurus.com, and so now you can go there to learn about soap and weather. Continuing that indie trend, we got Spencer and Locke. I have heard the buzz about this book, or may, maybe it's just your face. I remember your face. Let me know what Spencer and Locke is. Why should what, Who's going to like it? Yeah, uh, I'm David Pepos, the writer of Spencer and Locke. And the easy elevator pitch for it is, what if Calvin and Hobbes grew up in Sin City? It's about a hard-boiled cop whose partner is his childhood imaginary friend. It's a little true detective, it's a little fight club, and it's 100% a love letter to classic Bill Watterson and Frank Miller. Uh, anybody who likes Criminal, uh, who likes Afterlife with Archie, who likes uh, Warren Ellis and Declan Shelley's work on Moon Knight, they're going to love Spencer and Locke. Uh, this is a book that is directly for you. And our sequel, Spencer and Locke 2, is actually in the previews catalog right now. We are doing uh, Hardboiled Calvin and Hobbes versus Hardcore Beetle Bailey. And uh, if you're a fan of The Empire Strikes Back or The Dark Knight, you're going to love what we're doing in Volume 2. Uh, where are people going to run you down online? Yeah, you can follow uh, Spencer and Locke is its own Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram accounts. It's Spencer and Locke, one word, uh, with the and spelled out. You can also follow me on Twitter at PeposD. It's just my last name and first initial. Damn the character reboots. Go indie. Did you say 3K action figures? No, it's over 10K in action figures, but it's over 3K in G.I. Joe. All right, you got O-ring, you got modern era. What are you feeling? The whole, the whole kit and caboodle. I got a near complete O-ring, a uh, very, very near complete modern. That middle area is a little loose, but uh, sideshow, hot toys. I got the USS flag. I got the Terror Dome. I got it all on display. Sir, it's become apparent to me we don't have your name just yet. Oh, it's Jeremiah Stafford. Jeremiah, West Coast, right? Yeah, I'm based out here in L.A. I work in film and television. When you're thinking about the figures back in the day, is it more card art that resonates or is it articulation sculpt? Card art was the first thing that grabbed me when I walked in the store. Good man. And it still does. Like, that card art is just incredible. Nothing in the aisle attracts you like that card art did back in the day. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Is there any uh, figures that you did not get? Kind of like Holy Grail, they're out there. I can think of one that's just a reach, and I don't think I'll ever get it, the Roddy Piper club figure. There's a funny story there, actually. Uh, I did not have the Roddy Piper figure, but I actually got to be friends with Roddy Piper. Oh, that's uh, nice. And one day he brought me one of his figures. and So a uh, little backstory, actually. My dad's cousin was a wrestler by the name of Colonel De Beers in the 80s. And if you go back and look at Sergeant Slaughter, 1985 to 1988, one of the main rivals in AWA wrestling that Sergeant Slaughter would fight week on, week off, was Colonel De Beers, who was uh, my dad's cousin. His real name was Ed Wiskowski. He'd also won a tag belt with Roddy Piper back in the early 80s before WWF and all that stuff. 
so yeah, I worked with Roddy Piper on a film set one time, told him, you know, hey, do you remember my dad's cousin, blah, blah, blah. We gained a friendship out of that. And uh, yeah, a few years ago, obviously before he passed away, I ran into him and said, hey, are you going to come down to the comedy store this weekend? I want you to come down. You got to come down. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't know why. But Roddy Piper saw high energy like that. I'm like, yeah, 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 sure. sure. Right? He's like, no, 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 you have to come. I'm like, okay, 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 I'll come. And uh, sure enough, he brought me uh, that figure because he knew that I was a G.I. Joe fan and he knew I didn't have He it. was a real one, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was, uh, he was a good guy. You know, interesting life. You know. They live, man. Yeah, they live and they went hard. Well, we're not in the penthouse, so it must be a special mission. Uh, what, what's your code name? Are we just going codename Ramba? Well, that's, yeah, I guess so. We can say Ramba. All right. We can get more vicious later. Or, I guess Chuckles is taken already, so. No, you know what? That, that Chuckles 2.0. <laughs> there um, you go. Here with Chuck Rendon. Uh, you might know him from uh, the Diabolical Penthouse, if you're in the know. Outside of the penthouse. Breathing the fresh air for once, yeah. Um, here at Long Beach Comic Expo, we're no strangers. Let's talk some Joe, though. Um, just got back from the panel. Just to get a taste test, let's start with a, a test question. Give me your three favorite... I, I know you're a Black Series collector right now. You definitely right. collected Star Wars. Give me your three favorite uh, Imperial officers or troops. If you have to go New Era, if you have to go Praetorian, do what you will. Brother, you know me. I'm not going to go New Era. <laughs> Good man. <laughs> Well, you know, I'm all about the pilots, so uh, I got to go TIE Pilot, my number one, man. Nice. The second best black action figure? Of course, second after the fridge. <laughs> all right, I'll concede. Got to go second with another pilot, man, the AT-AT driver. Nice. Another great, basically the white TIE Fighter pilot, if we're being honest, but uh, still a cool design. Uh, and then last, man, uh, just from aesthetics, uh, got to go in Emperor's Royal Guard. All right, all right. Stealth, quiet, dangerous. There you go. Until they get pitched over a chair. <laughs> right. Actually, wasn't that the Emperor that got pitched? It was. Uh, yeah. Edit hand strong. But if we're talking G.I. Joe, uh, you haven't chatted much with the Joe community, good a time as any. What are your three favorite Cobra looks since we just did Empire? All right, well, we just established I'm all about the pilots, so I'm going to throw the Strata Viper out there. Maybe Cocky. not necessarily an iconic look, but I think when you're talking pilots, you got to take the whole package. The Night Raven is a cool plane, dude. It's it's probably Cobra's best spy vehicle, and let's be honest, uh, I'm nothing if about aesthetics. So, cheers. Next, I, I dude, I got to give it to the Crimson Guard. Right on. Not only do they have the regal look, but uh, dude, working directly under Tomat and Zaymont, come on. And finally, dude, got to go OG Viper. Okay. Kind of like Cobra Commander, love the uh, mirror face. There's something to be said when you're staring down a viper that your own eyes are staring back at you. I think the psychology runs deep, the duality of man. So, there you go. Welcome to G.I. Joburg, brother. We're not talking bloody cool, we're not talking CBR, we're talking pop lurker, and we're talking to the boss, Lauren Stone. Hi. You know, there's a lot of noise out here. Why'd you get in the game? Pop culture journalism. Well, in addition to being the executive editor of Pop Lurker, I'm also the editor in chief of ToyWizards.com, Toy-Wizards.com, which is a brand new um, toy news website. We update multiple times a day, and we're reporting on all the latest toy news. So with Pop Lurker, it's a little more of um, evergreen content. We're doing 
um, lists and like listicles. We're doing a lot of comedy pieces, reviews, retrospectives, and then on Toy Wizards, it's more like um, it's more just like here's the new figures from Hasbro and from um, NECA and Super Seven. So it's whatever whatever's coming out in uh, Toy News. Got gotcha. you. Where can people run you down online? If you want to find me online, I mean, I'm all over the Los Angeles convention scene right now. I am a, um, I'm a, an event coordinator here for Long Beach. Um, I'm doing programming for KublaCon. I'm involved with Power Morphicon. I'm involved with a bunch of upcoming shows. And if you want to find me on social media, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Lauren Stone, L-O-R-Y-N Stone. You know, it doesn't feel like a convention or an expo unless you and I chat. Um, <laughs> But uh, here we are again at Long Beach Comic Expo. Let me do a little bit of context. Uh, first man to animate the Black Panther? Yep, I got a chance to put the Black Panther. The first animated version of him was in the uh, X-Men show as African Mutant number three. <laughs> he did a cameo there. But I, did the, I had a chance to do the first official Black Panther episode when I was directing the Fantastic Four. And we took the original two-part series where he was introduced. And we made it into an entire episode. So those, I got a chance to do the first two appearances of Black Panther. Director on X-Men, which was Fox's top-rated cartoon for over five years? Yes, it was. And author of Alpine Skyhook Shot on the Fire Bat as it flies past the Statue of Liberty. Whoa, what? <laughs> Alpine. That's, That's nothing right. to scoff at. That's, yeah, that was... Um, I, 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 I storyboarded the opening to the G.I. Joe movie. That's and right. that was uh, one of the scenes that I, 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 I created. I always try and challenge myself when I was working as a storyboard artist and as a director not to repeat myself. So I came, I, I, it just came to me when I was designing the action sequence that, oh, this will be kind of fun. Good instincts. Yeah. Uh, obviously talking to pop culture pioneer Larry Houston. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but we talked G.I. Joe. Like you said, G.I. Joe movie, 1987, director of the opening. You said on an interview that there were two other people that pitched an opening as well, and yours won out. Yes. Do you recall what their scenarios were at all? No, I can't. No, it was uh, Frank Parr and Boyd Kirkland were the other two. Fair enough. And, and I remember that they were trying to come up with an opening, and for me inspiration was at that time there was some sort of a celebration for the um, Statue of Liberty yeah. and that just keyed in my imagination okay here's something America's going to celebrate and obviously Cobra's going to come in there and screw it all up Yeah, argu- so I just ran with it arguably uh, the biggest set piece in, in our world really action set piece Yes. Uh, but let's, let's, let's d- dig into that since it's the third time we've chatted let's, let's take a personal tour through it uh, I think at one point you have Ricondo racing around the corner of Fort Wood, taking some shots at people in the opening. Yes. The art world will take you around the world. Is there any architecture that you've seen uh, that, that you know you're around something special? Um, for me, I guess it would be uh, obviously the Statue of Liberty. The other one would be uh, the Eiffel Tower. Um Hopefully my wife and I will go visit there someday. You know, she's already been. I haven't been to Europe at all, so I want to go visit. But to me, those are the two seminal architectures would be Statue of Liberty and um, Eiffel Tower for me. Uh, let's work our way up the Statue of Liberty. She's holding a tablet, but let's call it a book. 
What's a book for you that, that resonates, something that you can uh, reflect upon? I would say... This content has been deemed privileged by Cobra Command. All right, let's, let's, go, straight, let's go straight for the heart, Larry. G.I. Joe, a real American hero. 2019. Well, who is a real American hero to you now? Oh, wow. I've seen a lot of heroes, regular people... I've seen different situations on the news where, you know, extraordinary situations happen when someone's in danger, like cars flipping over and then regular citizens going out, risking themselves to take people out of burning cars. Like I just saw one where someone had thrown a kitten in the middle of a freeway and it was sitting on, you know, in the middle and the cop came over and saved the kitten from being killed by all the cars. You know, those little small acts of... Um, empathy and uh, humanity. So Joe, how do you think the panel went? Uh, I think it was amazing. I'd like to give all credit to both God, Ra, Serpentor, and my fabulous guests, Jeremiah, Cujo, and Paul. You guys are awesome. You guys make me look good.